Everything Leafs podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode on Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Nick D'Souza and Kevin Papetti. Welcome to the Everything Leafs podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza as always. Nick, unfortunately, we don't have much hockey to talk about this week. There's cancellations across the NHL, including three Leafs games. But what are you doing with this spare time? How are you doing? Been good. I'm definitely missing hockey. I think, you know, at this time, it's it's obviously the most important thing is that the players and the staff and the, the fans that are going to these games are the are safe. So I definitely understand the cancellations. And, you know, Kevin, now it's our jobs to talk about the Marlies third line in the championship year for 45 minutes to try and distract everyone. Yeah, we're gonna have to find some, uh, find some unique content today because unfortunately, there's been no games, but we haven't recorded a while, so I think it's, it's actually a good time after about 30 games to kind of reflect on, on what the Leafs have done so far. We're not quite at the halfway mark, but it looks like that could be it for, for games in, in 2021, maybe one more game. Um, so I think we have at least an idea of what this team is before we flip the calendar. And I actually wanted to start off with some trivia today, Nick. Normally we do this kind of towards the end of the podcast, but I just want to go through the metrics, and I want you to guess where the Leafs sit in each metric just so we can get kind of a an idea of where this team how this team's performing so far so wow this is actually something that i look at very very often and okay it is not we're gonna find it yeah i know but now since the games have stopped i have stopped looking at this so at least team stats i've definitely been looking at some individual stats over the last couple days but uh let's go through it i'm actually excited here Okay, so we're going to start with expected goals for at 5-on-5. Out of the 32 teams, where do the Leafs sit? Just straight-up percentages? Just percent. Expected goals. Okay, okay. Uh, At 5-on-5. Percent. Percent, yep. So they're in the top five. Let's go third. I said sixth, and they were actually fourth. So you do look at this quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Okay, now I want the breakdown, goals for, goals against. So where do you think yep. they sit in goals for? First. They are second. Oh. And so, again, you you know what you're talking about here. Definitely. And who's, then, who's first then? Uh, Florida? Let me look it up. It's the Hurricanes. Oh, yes. Okay. Still fairly close. Uh, Florida's actually third, so. I, th- I think expected goals against per 60, they're, they're somewhere in the... They're around like 15 last time I looked, so I'm going to go 13. And this is in terms of goals against? They are 13th. Wow. They are 13th. Okay. This is something I look at a lot. So Yeah, this you're passing the exam right now. I think I I'm talking to the right, the right guy. Okay, um, let's do save percentage. All situations save percentage. Where do you think they rank? Top 10, so I'll say 7th or 6th. They're 3rd, which okay. is pretty impressive considering that... Peter Mrazek is Mitchell Mischine, but... Yeah, and Campbell's have, just been lights out. Yeah, Campbell with a 9.37, uh, and then Joseph Wall for four games at 9.11. Mrazek and Hutchison haven't done all that well, but that's only five five of the 30 games. So, I mean, goaltending is definitely inflating them a little bit, you know, depending on how Campbell does. I don't think he'll be at a 9.37 the whole year, but, you know, we'll definitely take this start from him. The last one I wanted to ask you about is their power play plus penalty killing. So if you add them up, an average one's going to equal 100%. 
Uh, where do you think they rank in power play percentage plus penalty kill percentage? You're, cu- you're, you're right up my alley, actually, because power play, I looked up, uh, I think it was a week ago, this is the first year where the Leafs have are top 10 in both power play and penalty kill. So if you added them together, they have to be in the top four, I'd say. Like, I don't know how many teams are... I'm, I'm going to go second. Yeah, you're... Th- it, it was third. I said fourth. Third, okay. So we are on the ball at this. I am, I am surprised. I think we found your area of expertise. Yeah. Well, every every in my spare time, I'm just on uh, NST or, or Natural Stat Trick. That's what I do in my spare time. So this is right down my alley. All right. Well, we're starting on a strong note today. Maybe we have to start with trivia more often because so... only, only strictly five on five team stats, though. Like anything outside that, <laughs> like draft anything. You know, that's where my expertise goes down. So I should not say the exact percent. Like if you're saying it's like fifty-five point six one percent, then I'm gonna have. Uh, then I need a hobby. Questions. Yeah, I need a different I was, hobby I, then. I, I thought I was good. Like I was, I was writing down my answers, and I was two off every time. Um, but I think you might have even been less than two off every time. So I'll, I'll take it. Uh, we'll give you the win on that one. Um, in terms of just goal differential, five on five, they're ninth. You know, compared to fourth in expected goals. So, you know, I think the shooting percentage that we saw kind of earlier on in the year. Um, just looking it up now, they're they're still kind of mid pack and shooting percentage at five on five and fourteenth, so maybe that's driving it. Um, but I want to get into today some of the pleasant surprises and some of the maybe bigger disappointments uh, that we've had so far. So it's been thirty games. I think we have a big enough sample to to kind of definitively say who's been good, who's been bad. It's not like we're basing this off a handful of games at this point. We've seen guys play with different line mates. We've seen, you know after last season we finally got to see some you know them play boston play tampa so i'll start with you we don't have three stars to do this at week nick because we just haven't had enough games so out of the 30 games who do you think has been the the biggest pleasant surprise thus far yeah so i actually tweeted this uh yesterday and uh just saying who's been the biggest pleasant surprise this year and that the leaps are 28 and 2 after 30 games um I got a lot of replies on this one and and it was kind of cool because I got a lot of different replies. My answer was Wayne Simmons. Um, You know, I think both you and I are huge fans of Wayne Simmons, the player. I think he's just, and even off the ice, like Wayne Simmons just seems like the coolest guy. I think he's, he's a fan favorite here. He's, he's been always been one of my favorite players. So when they first signed him, I was really excited and I was a bit disappointed in his play last year. I just didn't feel like, you know, on, on some nights, he was one of the 12 best players on the Leafs. I did feel like at times that they were just dressing him because of the intangibles that he brings to the game, um, especially in the playoffs when they had a healthy lineup anyways. Um, and But this year, so when they re-signed him for a two-year deal, I definitely was, I definitely questioned it. And this year, he's just blown me out of the water. I think he looks quicker. His playmaking has been fantastic. And I was actually looking at his five-on-five stats, and he's his shots per 60 and his individual scoring chance per 60 are at a career-high rate right now. Obviously, he's playing on the fourth line. He's playing fourth-line competition. He's playing with a great player in Jason Spezza, who, you know, in terms of slot passes, is very, very good. But, I mean, Wayne Simmons has had a very long career, and for him to be generating that many, you know, scoring chances right now at, at even strength, I think that's all you can ask for him. And the goals haven't really been going in right now. He's shooting still pretty shooting pretty low. They're going to start going in sooner or later. 
And, you know, even his playmaking, the offensive zone has been great. So for me, it's Wayne Simmons. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I think we were both kind of in the same boat heading into the year where, you know, he didn't play all that well last year. I know he didn't have a primary assist. You know, it, it did seem like he wasn't one of the top 12 forwards come playoff time. And I know he dealt with some injuries. Um, but this year, he, he definitely looks like someone who will, deserves to be there. Uh, a, for the you know the physical presence that, that he brings, but he, he's also contributing offensively. I know he's got 10 points in 29 games. Maybe not you know uh, anything that jumps off the page, but I know he, he's had less power play time. Um, and, and as you said, those expected goals, you know, you think a player of his caliber in terms of just net front scoring over the years, uh, that, that's exactly what you want to see. It's, it's a good sign for, for what's to come. Um, and just looking at, at some of the numbers here, like he's, he's got a 55 and a half expected goal differential, which is very strong. Uh, his actual just five on five goal differentials up around 58%, just over. So that's very impressive as well. Um, that, that fourth line's really done a good job at winning their minutes. Um, I don't know, you know, who the last person on the line is going to be come playoff time, but, but so far you look at what Spetson and Simmons have done together and it seems to be working. So, so far so good on, on that end. Um, I, I do think that, you know, just given that he's not a younger player and, and given the, kind of the injuries he's gone through over the years and, and the fact that he had kind of had a couple down seasons prior to this season, uh, I wasn't really expecting Simmons to take a step forward. I thought he, you know, would normally players at his age either continue to decline or, or they stay the same. So the fact that he has kind of had a bounce back year uh, compared to the last, you know, two, three years uh, is, is pretty encouraging. And I think it's a, a pretty big surprise. So I'll give you that one. I'm, I'm curious now, what was the, I guess, other than Simmons, what was kind of the next common answer of the replies you got? Well, there, there, there are a lot of really good answers here. Like I know, um, Bunting came up quite often. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Kampf came up. Uh, Kasha also was a good one. Jack Campbell was a good one that came up. Um, I'm trying to think, John Tavares. I saw a few of those, but definitely the top ones I would say were Bunting, Kampf, Simmons. Probably those three. Bunting, Kampf, and Simmons were probably the top three. So I think it, it kind of depends on how we word this question. So if it's like the most impactful surprise, I would say Jack Campbell for sure because, you know, 23 games of a 937 save percentage, the amount he's played um, because Marazic's hurt and they haven't really had a, a solid backup behind him. Uh, you know, goaltending is the most important position in hockey. A 937 save percentage is going to win you a lot of games. Uh, so he's definitely the most impactful. I know, you know, I... I, I it is a surprise. I think 937 is always a surprise. Um, but it is a surprise in the sense that, you know, he's still a bit of a mystery box heading into this year. He didn't have a huge NHL track record. Uh, he hasn't really had a track record of being a number one goalie and, and holding up health-wise. So, so far, so good on that end. Um, you know, 15-5-2. and two, You know, not that wins and loss is a great stat for a goalie, but... I mean, all this guy does is, is win, so it's, it's tough to knock him. That's the most impactful surprise for sure. Uh, I, I think we, we saw him it coming a little bit in terms of him being a quality goalie. I don't know if anyone could have penciled him in for a 937, but um, I, I do think that it is a, a pleasant surprise. But in terms of just who I'm surprised the most with, I think it would have to be Simmons just because I just, you know, I, I don't know if I saw that coming at his age. 
uh, given that he's you know on the other side of 30, that he'd have a bounce back. Um, I think there's a couple options here, but I'm going to go with Andre Kasha for a few reasons. Heading into the year, I think we knew that you know he was a good player of healthy. He always had good underlying numbers. Uh, he always like this is a guy that was capable, fully capable of a 40 plus point season, and uh, someone who had played with the likes of Ryan Getzlav in Anaheim. So him him being able to you know be a good two way forward. Add some offense. He's got 15 points in 27 games without much power play time. I, I think we could c- kind of see that coming. But heading into the year, I remember in the offseason, like I didn't pencil him into my projected lineup because, you know, I, from my perspective, it was just I don't know how many games we can write this guy down for because I, I believe he just played a handful of games last year. Um, you really didn't know if you were going to get him for 82 games or five games. And so far, he's been relatively healthy. He's played in 27 of the 30 games. He's been an outstanding uh, player in his role, whether that's penalty killing, whether that's you know taking defensive zone starts, which he really didn't hadn't done before. Um, and, and he's really driving secondary scoring, which I think is a very key need for this Leafs team, especially when you have someone like David Camp, who uh, you know isn't the best offensively. I also just think, you know, with Marner out, his ability to jump into the top six and, and, and perform well has, has been impressive. And he and he almost is a perfect replacement for Kasperi Kapanen of a couple of years ago, who, you know, made about three times as much as him. Um, and it, just a, he, Right now, he looks like an outstanding bargain, one of the bargains of the offseason. I hope he can stay healthy. But so far, I think just health-wise, he's been the most pleasant surprise for me. Kasha has been excellent. I think it's funny because we on past podcasts have talked about the Leafs bottom six before and, and we just felt like, and, and this is me kind of quoting both of us, I guess, uh, from back then. And to me, when I look back at those bottom sixes, it's, it's almost as if they had players that did one thing quite well at the NHL level, but lacked other things that weren't really at NHL level. Like they had like guys like Pierre Engvall who, I think is a pretty strong defensively. He has a good, strong transition game, but offensively, I don't think he's he's that good. Um, guys like Kapanen, who was very, very fast, but you know, as soon as he got in the offensive zone, I think his his shot and his playmaking abilities didn't really translate. And you look at a guy like Andre Kashin, he just does everything well. He works hard. He has a great shot. He's got good playmaking. He can carry the puck up the ice. And I just think he's the perfect guy that the Leafs need where... You can have him on the, the bottom two lines, especially that third checking line, and be confident in it. And he can also step up into that top line with Matthews and not look out of place. Just like how Kapanen, you know, would jump up onto that Matthews line and he'd look kind of out of place, I felt. So I do think that's a good pick. For me, though, when I was thinking about what my answer was going to be for most pleasant surprise, it was really between... Simmons and a player that really wasn't mentioned that much um, in the replies, and that's Timothy Lilligren. I think he's been a pretty pleasant surprise. I I think both you and I felt like he was an NHL player watching him in the Marlies, especially the past two seasons. And I think the jump from the AHL to the NHL, we see players do it, but I do think there's a bit of a learning curve. And I expected Lilligren to do quite well in his third pairing role, but I I didn't really expect him to even threaten for that top four role. And I don't know, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I just think Lilligren has looked pretty good, like just himself. Um, 
you know, rather than a pairing with Muzzin and Lilligren, which we'll get to later. But I do think Lilligren has has really impressed me. I think his his transition D has really translated well to the NHL. I think offensively, he's looked like a threat. His zone exits have been excellent. And, and you know, the Leafs really don't have the, right now many defensemen outside of Riley and, and maybe Dermott that can just, and Sandin when he's healthy, that can kind of take the puck and, and generate a zone exit all by themselves by skating the puck out and, and Lilligren's one of those players. So for me, I think the runner-up behind Wayne Simmons, who who takes the first place, I think would be Timothy Lilligren. But like I said in the tweet, it just feels like there's so many players to choose from because obviously when you've won 20 out of 30 games, um, you know, you have some players that have done well. Yeah, I think Lilligren would definitely be on my shortlist as well. Um, you know, we've both watched a ton of Lilligren. I don't think we doubted his ability to be an NHL defenseman, but... It's one thing to project that. It's another thing to actually do it and, and become like a legitimately valuable NHL player. His results are, are very impressive, like 58.5% expected goals. He's right around that mark in terms of actual goal differential at 5-on-5 as well. You know, I know it's it's been largely on the third pairing, but dominating third pairing minutes is important. Um, but, you know, those are, that's a win for the team. And... I, I do love the transition defense. I do think that offensively he's at least competent. Like he, I don't think he's Sandine offensively, but I do think that he's a he's a fine puck mover. He's certainly not a Roman Polak. <laughs> so 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 far so good. I don't think I expected him to jump up and play with Muzzin so quickly. We'll see how it goes. I don't know if it's been great results in the first few games. You know, it's such a small sample that I don't think we can really you know make too many judgments on if it'll work or if it will not work. But, you know, 19 games so far, just the fact that he's played 19 games, I think, is an accomplishment in itself. Um, I, I did think that he was likely to start the season with the Marlies. I think some injuries kind of helped his cause and, and got him into the lineup. But, you know, he's really... He, he has taken someone's job. Like, I do think that he's... As of right now, he's jumped ahead of Justin Hull in the depth chart. You can probably argue that he's jumped ahead of Travis Dermott in the depth chart. And as a Leafs fan, as someone who, you know, watched this team when they had Ron Hainsey, Nikita Zaitsev, and Roman Polak on the right side, you know, it's been a long time since they've had a, you know, a homegrown right-shooting defenseman uh, come in and make an impact, especially at, at his age. And uh, I, I think the patience has, has started to, to really pay off. And uh, he does look like a, a pretty good two-way defenseman because I think the defense is, is, is pretty good. He's, he's killing penalties. He's not all that small. It's not like he's, you know, a, you know, a Matt Hollowell type. This guy's six-one, I believe. So, you know, well-rounded player. I, I do think that he'd be on my short list. I know we, th- we thought he'd be good, but, you know, so far, you, you're really, there's really no negatives in his game right now. Yeah, I think any time that you get put up into the shutdown line or, or next to Jake Muzzin so early in your, your NHL career. I think that's a good thing. So, yeah, he was the runner-up for me. Um, but let's move on into the, the I guess, the surprises the other way, the guys that have surprised us that they, they haven't been very good. Uh, I'll well, let you start on this one. I want to I give a couple more shout-outs. So I do think Bunting was a good one. Um, just the fact that he's at, you know, 59.5 expected goal differential. He looks perfectly He's playing very well next to Austin Matthews. I think, you know, we saw the scoring production last year, and, and we thought, okay, yeah, maybe he can be, a, you know, a good player for a round league minimum. But 
he looks like a, a you know a perfectly fine guy to pencil into the top six come playoff time. So, you know, I don't think it's completely it was completely unexpected. But for someone who was you know I think at, at first he was he either started on the fourth line or he's supposed to start on the fourth line, and uh, he's kind of worked his way up in a hurry. So I, I do think Bunting is is a pleasant surprise. Sandine kind of like Lilligren just dominating his minutes. You know, tough to knock him. Um, even Morgan Riley, who's just racking up points and is at like a 65.5 goal differential. Um, you know, he's been great since he since he signed that extension. And then the other surprise, I'll say, is Austin Matthews, who, you know, his defensive impacts are, are kind of through the roof this year. Um, really, I mean, it's not like it, his success was unexpected, but he's really developed into a, a really good two-way forward. And uh, obviously, he's, he's probably the best five-on-five goal scorer in the planet, so... Those would be my other candidates. Maybe you could throw Kerfoot in there as well. He was off to a hot start. Um, maybe you could throw... I don't Willie know. Nylander? Maybe Willie Nylander. Yeah, Nylander was their best forward for like the first 15 games. So I, I, I think Nylander can go in there. Uh, Tavares coming off the injury can go in there. There's, there's, there's lots of positives right now. Definitely. And I think that's kind of the byproduct of, you know, winning 20 out of 30 games. Um, and the Leafs, at the end of the day, they did have a number of new faces coming in. Like they did have Camp and Kasha and Bunting, these, you know, these players that are are signed for cheap. That you know, I, I would say that they had like, you know, maybe moderate expectations from the fan base. I think they, like, especially with Camp and and Bunting, like Bunting has played thirty games this season. He's played every game thus far, and that's the most games he's played in a season in his whole career. Like he played five games with Arizona and 21 games, uh, sorry, five games in 2018, 2019. And then 2020, 2021, he played only 21 games. So this year, you know, he's already had a career high in terms of games played in a season. I don't know how many Leafs fans really knew that much about David Kampf. So I do think there were just a ton of unknowns and, and those players have come in and, and done well. So there's definitely a lot of room for pleasant surprises this year for the Leafs. Okay, so now that we've gone positive, we'll go with some of the disappointments. I don't think there's too many. Um, I, I do think there's one defense pairing that we'll want to talk about, but I'm going to start just with the obvious one. Let's get it out of the way. Nick Ritchie. Um, you know, he's, he's second last on the team and expected goal differential. His goal, his honest goal differential is at 30, 38.5%, which is, <laughs> which is terrible. I'm looking at it. You know, there's a few guys under 50, but... No one's even close to, to 40%. I think part of that is, you know, bad shooting percentage, luck. But, you know, he's slow. He's not good defensively. He's really, you know, for a physical guy, I think he's behind someone like Simmons or, or even Clifford. Um, for what he's making, I know he's making over two. You know, he, he, he's definitely been worse than Bunting, who, who makes far less. He's definitely been worse than Kasha, who makes far less. Uh, at this, I think, you know, we say it every podcast, I try to get out of that contract as soon as you could. Um, maybe you can get rid of it at the deadline. Maybe you can get rid of it on the off season, attach a bit of an asset. Um, but I would, I think there's better ways to spend cap space. So I, I understand what they're looking for, a net front scorer. Uh, but so far, I, I, I just don't think that he's come close to, to being worth that money. Um, not that it's, you know, a, a crazy payday. It's not like it's a Jeff Skinner contract or, you know, one of those that Vancouver signed, one of their 10 contracts they signed that were just terrible. But uh, it is more than league minimum. It is money that could be spent elsewhere, and, and so far he's not living up. So I'll get the obvious one out of the way early. 
Yeah, and it's funny because I, I think, you know, Richie has definitely been, you know, subpar to say the least thus far. Um, but if I had to rank them, I think Richie wouldn't even be in my top two. I think he'd be the third. Like, you can go back and listen to our podcast from when they first signed, you know, all these guys like Bunting and Camp and Kasha and Richie. And, and we were skeptical of that contract from the day that it was signed. I, I know that the, the problems of... We said that he was slow on that day. We said, I don't know if this, you know, his his intangibles and things like that are really going to, you know, kind of translate into the way the Leafs play. We were really skeptical of that penalty differential. So for me, like, I, I don't know if I'm that surprised. I, I do think, you know, the He's been worse, though. He's been worse than expected. Like, I still expected, like, a low-end third-line winger. And I think he's kind of been, like, he looks like a league minimum guy. He's got one goal in 29 games, like. We didn't expect one goal of 29 games. No, no. And, and I mean, the 2%, I'll, I guess I'll defend Richie a little bit. <laughs> like, the, the 2% shooting percentage doesn't help him. I yeah. think if that's, you know, higher at like an 8.8 or 9, I, I guess that's kind of the player that I would expect. Um, yeah. Like, he's had his chances. I think if, you know, a few of those go in, his shooting percentage goes up. That's probably right where I would have expected. Um, so I'm not going to knock him for the low shooting percentage, but I don't know. I, I just... Yeah, let's get this one out of the way. I, I think they do need to get out of that contract as soon as they can. I don't see him being in the top 12 come playoff time, especially if they you know acquire a forward at the deadline. I, I just think he's going to get moved out of the playoff, the lineup. Even right now, like I think with Mikheyev back in the lineup, I'd have Engvall over Richie. I'd have Simmons over Richie, and I'd definitely have Spezza over Richie. So I don't even know if he'd, he'd make my healthy lineup right now, let yeah, alone it's definitely... the playoffs. It's definitely Engvall that would come out. If you played Richie over Engvall, I, I don't, I won't complain that much. I mean, I think Engvall's probably better, but, um, yeah, I just, I it's just think one of those maybe, things. maybe he could reband and be a top twelve forward, but, you know, I don't really like him with Simmons and Spezza, given his, you know, how slow he is. I think that's a very slow line. I don't really like him on a checking line because of his lack of speed. I don't like him in the top six because he's not good enough. So I just don't see a great fit right now. Uh, yeah. you know, we don't have to justify this too much. He's got one goal in, in 29 <laughs> games. And, like, everyone's going to agree with us that he's been uh, a disappointment. Even if you had lower expectations, I still think you got to put him in the disappointment category. Yeah, definitely. Let, let's move on to, the, to, to my number one and number two picks, and that's Jake Muzzin and Justin Hall. Uh, I'll let you take the floor first. Like, I don't know who you want to start with. I wanted you to start this one. Can you start this one? I want to know which one you pick. I am going to go with, in terms of disappointment, like a, I guess, oh, sorry, a, a surprise, we're going to go Jake Muzzin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think with Muzzin, I don't think he looks 100%. I do think he looks a little bit slower than he was in the past. And, and I've tweeted something similar to this, you know, a few weeks ago now. And I know a lot of people were saying well, he was never fast to begin with, so it doesn't really matter if he's gone a little slower. And, it, you know, it's all about his decision-making. His decision-making has been really bad. He's been turning the puck over. His his puck moving has been the problem. And I do think his puck moving hasn't been as good. I do think he's trying a little bit more stretch passes. And as a result, it has actually led to some nice assists that he's gained, you know, the, the Matthews goal uh, a couple games ago in, in Matthews multi-point game or multi-gold game uh, comes to mind. But... To me, I just don't think physically he looks the same as last year in terms of his skating. I think he's a bit slower. And, you know, even though 
Muzzin wasn't a Kale, a Kale McCarr last year or even before that, you know, if you lose a little bit of speed in the NHL, it's going to show. And I kind of I kind of like to use the example of John Tavares, where in his prime, Tavares was faster than he is right now. And as a result, Tavares is a little bit slower now. He's had to kind of remake his game. Um, and even the way that he's deployed now in comparison to even his first year with Toronto, they put him with Willie Nylander. They put him with Alex Kerfoot, two very, very good transition players, two very good puck carriers to play with Tavares. Um, Tavares doesn't get played against top competition like he used to. He's not on a matchup line like he was in his first year. Partly that is because of Austin Matthews' kind of development as a really good defensive player. Another thing is they have David Camp now. So, But it does have to do with just Tavares' overall speed, and, and Tavares has had to remake himself and he's still a very effective player so I do think that just because Muzzin wasn't fast last year I do think he's a little slower this year and I think that matters it just matters in your decision making you're not able to gain you know that split second more time to move the puck up the ice and I think that's where his turnovers come from so we're gonna get to Justin Hall because I do think his skating is also very different from the past but I'll let you talk about Muzzin first yeah, so I think we could put the Muzzin Hall pairing just in general in the dis- disappointment bin. Um, in terms of who's been the you know the bigger disappointment, it probably is Jake Muzzin just because I think the expectations were higher for Jake Muzzin, and, and he's just more uh, he's more important for the Leafs' success. Um, so if, if you are looking to see like if you're trying to diagnose, if you're the doctor and, and trying to diagnose the issue here uh, of the Muzzin Hall pairing. You know, it, it was a, a pairing that was successful over the last couple seasons. Like, they were they were north of a 53% expected goal mark against top competition. You know, they weren't really the big problem in either playoff series. It was it was far more offensively um, for the team in general, that is. Uh, and, and then, if like, if you look at, like, Evolving Hockey as the RAPM chart, and if you look at just kind of the different, like, the year-to-year difference between Muzzin and Hall, like, Hall's looks pretty similar over the years. Like they never really bought the hype on Hall. They kind of saw him as a, you know, a league average defenseman. Nothing really stood out like too positive or too negative. But Jake Muzzin for years was a high end play driver. Like his RPM chart looked like someone who could anchor a top pairing, like a, a very good underrated defenseman that was like a borderline Team Canada caliber player. And this year, it's it just not the same. Like, he, he looks, by, by the charts, he looks far worse. I think that kind of aligns with the eye, eye test. And if you're looking at Muzzin, like, Muzzin has the extra year of control. He also makes, you know, about two and a half times what Justin Hall makes. So, you know, I think I think the, the issue is probably a bit of both, and they've both been disappointing. But, you know, if, if it is Muzzin that's, a big part of the problem. That's a big concern because, you know, that's a harder problem to fix. If, if Muzzin's himself, I think maybe someone like Lilligren can come in and, you know, be a league average defenseman like Hall was in the past. Maybe you can go get a league average defenseman at the deadline. That, that should be pretty easy to find. But if you need to find an anchor to a shutdown pairing, like if Muzzin's not himself anymore, that's a much bigger issue. So I do think Muzzin's been the bigger disappointment just because the expectations were higher. But Justin Hall has been, you know, pretty... It's been a pretty miserable start to the season for him. 
Um, you know, you, you definitely can't be happy with what you've seen. Uh, at this point, the Muzzin Hall pairing just hasn't worked. I don't really want to break up Riley Brody because I think that's been pretty successful. So, you know, I, I think they're they're on the right track. You try Timothy Lilligren with Muzzin, you see how it works. You know, the trade deadline is until March 21st, so you have some time to experiment and see if you can find a, a good combination. But at, at this time, they just don't seem to have a great shutdown pairing. Part of that's Muzzin, part of that's Hall. I think they can kind of split the responsibility. Hall just doesn't look like he has the same confidence offensively. You know, there's really no points to speak of. One point in, in 24 games for him. You know, not that points are everything for defensemen, but I don't think the puck moving has been great on that pairing in general. I think we've seen some mistakes. Um, we haven't really seen the same, you know, shutdown ability that we saw in previous seasons. So I think they're both firmly in the di- disappointment category. I'll give the edge to Muzzin just because I think he had higher expectations. But I do think Hall's been Hall's definitely been worse than Muzzin this year. Um, but I'm curious, like, how do you see that pairing? You know, that pairing's been borderline unplayable, I would say, in, in a few games this year. Um, the, the big thing with Muzzin is that, yes, he's never been a very fast skater, but, you know, you and I have been watching Justin Hall for a long time now. Like, And, and even when I look back at his Marley's days, even in his first year, 2015, 2016, like he had a pretty significant role on that team. And it's funny because he had a significant role on that team. The year after he also was, you know, one of their top defensemen and the year after they won. And then he kind of went through the Babcock days, but he wasn't playing. And then 2019, 2020 play came up and he was on the shutdown line with Muzzin, like almost right away, even before Keith came up. Babcock was playing him in, in significant minutes. So it's kind of funny to see him now in, on a third pairing where he just never really played like third pairing minutes, whether he's with the AHL or the NHL. So regardless of that, I mean, we've been watching him for a very long time. And, and Hall, despite being, you know, a little taller, he's, he's always been a pretty good skater. He's always been able to move around the ice. And he kind of covered up for Muzzin in terms of puck races back into his own end. Uh, into their own end, like Hall's always, Hall's legs have always been the ones that are just kind of chasing guys down. When they play Edmonton, we all can remember how it's really been Justin Hall who's been keeping up with McDavid's speed. And this year, Hall does not look like his skating is at the same level as it's been in past years. And that pairing as a whole just looks really, really slow to me. And in terms of five on five play, like they're just getting destroyed right now. Um, expected goals, 40%, sorry, 40, been 49%, a lot lower than what they're used to. Um, it's actually goals for, so the goals for percentage has been 40%. It's, it's been tough. They have been given really tough minutes, um, in terms of zone starts and sort of competition, but that's kind of the minutes that they need to take. Um, that's the minutes that they were given last year that they thrived in. So, as a, as a pairing, they've just been really disappointing. But I do agree with you saying that Muzzin is kind of the, the top disappointment. And I do want to shed some light on that Muzzin-Lilligren pairing because I know people have kind of been a... They've been really supportive of that pairing. And I do think that... I like that Lilligren's there. I do like his legs. I do think he's a faster skater than Justin Hall is right now. But they haven't been much better in terms of expected goals. They're at 47, which is even lower than Muzzin Hall. And the other thing that is just kind of alarming is 
their zone usage is is definitely a lot more cushiony than Justin Hall's. Like I look at Muzzin Hall and they're forty one percent in terms of offensive zone faceoff percentage. Muzzin and Lilligren have been at fifty five percent, so they're not getting the same usage as Muzzin Hall. The the real reason I think people are really a big fan of it is really the goals. Um, the goals for a percentage of 75, they've been on for three goals for and one goal against while getting 97% on ice save percentage. So I don't know. I, I think I definitely want to see more time of, of Muzz and Lilligren. I think you give them when hockey starts again, I think you give them, you know, maybe five or 10 games, see how they do. But uh, I think their best bet is to, to potentially, you know, go back to Muzz and Hall and, and hope that that works if it doesn't by the trade deadline, I think that is something you need to address. So, you know, we don't know when the next Leafs game is going to be at this point. Right. They canceled the St. Louis game. Seattle one got canceled last night. Coming out of the break, are you going Muzzin Hall? Is that what you would do? Out of the break, I would still stay with Muzzin Lilligren. Okay. I think you need Lilligren's speed to kind of offset Jake Muzzin right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in terms of just... 5-on-5 expected goals, they haven't been better despite getting easier competition. But just from a fit, I think Lilligren Muzzin right now is the way way you go. And you just see how Justin Hall looks on that third pairing. Yeah. So I would stick with Lilligren Muzzin for now too. I think you give it like another five games. You see how it how it looks. Again, I think people like Muzzin Lilligren just because you know they got tired of Muzzin Hall. I don't think anyone really knows if Muzzin Lilligren will work. Uh, I will say that, you know, as, as a prospect with the Marlies, if you were going to tell me, you know, if, if Lilligan got called up, who's the ideal partner, I would have said Jake Muzzin because, you know, he's a defensive defenseman. Uh, I think Lilligan's transition defense helps Muzzin. I think he's a good puck mover to, to kind of help, you know. Muzzin's a fine puck mover, but he's been maybe like average or even slightly below this year, it seems. Um, I know, I think you're looking at the numbers as a pairing, um, so Muzzin's yes. at 51, 51% expected goals right now at 5-on-5. Five five. Hall's about the same, 51. And then they're about 45-46 actual goals. So they probably have better... They definitely have better numbers when they're apart right now. But I, I wouldn't hesitate to go back to that. I think you give it... You know, let's try Lilligren for like five games. Maybe five to ten games. Get, get a real sample. Let's see how they look and how they perform. If it's working, stick with it. And we'll get a bit of a... A longer test run ahead of the deadline um but if, if it doesn't look great maybe you go back like i do think even though muzz and lilligren you know on paper that pairing should pair well together we do have to keep in mind that this is going to be the pairing that that likely matches up against you know a barkov or a Braden point in a new nikita kucherov or, or maybe the bergeron line so you know throwing lilligren into those minutes is is a big ask as a rookie uh, I'm not saying he can't do it. I mean, we'll see what he can do. If the playoffs started today, I don't know how confident I would be. Um, but I do think that, you know, defense could potentially be a need come deadline time. And, you know, if you're looking at this now, Nick, do you think if you're Kyle Dubas and you kind of have, you know, one big splash to make, you know, you're, you're set on trading your first round pick for something. Do you think at this point right now, the deadlines today, you're going for a defenseman rather than a forward? I just don't know what's out there in terms of a defenseman. Like we saw for years how difficult it was to get a good defenseman, um, especially a right-handed one if they're if that's what they they really want. 
Um, so I, I would still go for a forward. I think what the Leafs have virtually done when Muzzin and Lilligren are together, they don't give Lilligren and Muzzin the zone starts that they would give Muzzin and Hall. And what they've virtually been doing is they've been giving those def- extra defensive zone starts to Riley Brody and to Hall and whoever he's with. So I would rather just do that rather than just giving one pairing all the defensive zone starts. They kind of split them up between the three. I would rather just go with the seven defensemen and then and then get a, a really good forward to play uh, in that top six. Yeah, I'm not too concerned with the defensive zone starts. Like, there's only three pairings. They're going to rotate based on who was off last. We only have a three-game sample. So I don't know how it would look after over, like, 10 games or 20 games. We just don't know. We haven't seen it. Uh, I could see, like, I, I do think that Hall, as someone who kills penalties, you'd be fine with giving him some extra defensive zone starts. Riley Brody, it's their best pairing. They're probably fine with giving them some extra defensive zone starts. Um, but in, in terms of... Uh, I'm they have, more they have played about... quite a bit together this year, though. Like, they have played shifts, even even though I know the last three games or four games, when they put out the lines at the beginning of the game, uh, it shows Mazen Lilligren, but they've played quite a bit this year. Like, they've played 78 minutes together. Um it's, I still don't think it's enough. I, the other big thing, oh, I'm it's, def- about it's definitely not enough. But like, it's quality it's, it's a competition. Big like I want to see them against top lines. I know they went up against Kane. I know they went up against McDavid. I mean, the results weren't great those nights. But you know, let's see them go up against. I want to see Lilligren against top competition for longer. And then the other thing is too is like I want to see what Jake Muzzin is at this point because I really don't know if if Muzzin's legitimately declined from last year. You know, he's at that age, and he's like 32, 33, yeah. um, where he, we could see a decline. I don't know if that's legitimate. I don't know if maybe he's declined, but not as much as he has so far. Like, maybe he'll bounce back a little bit and, and kind of bridge the gap between last year and this year. But right now, I think that's the biggest... I think Jake Muzzin's the biggest question on this team. Because um, as I said, if, if, if he has legitimately declined, that's a huge hole to fill. And Which is crazy because he's been the most reliable guy since he was traded here. I do think with Muzzin and Hall, they're definitely been worse than last year. I think that doesn't need to be said. But I do think they have been a little bit unlucky. I mean, I'm just looking at it now. Like their on-ice save percentage is 89%, 89.5. This is who, Muzzin? This is Muzzin and Hall together. Yeah, I can see he, that. But they've yeah. also been they've also been like legitimately... Oh, they've been worse than last year, 100%. And he's going to be 33 by playoff time, so it is a bit of a concern. I don't know if, like, I'm not ready to write the article that says, you know, Muzzin's toast, he's done. But, you know, it is, anytime, uh, I think anytime a player in their 30s takes a step back, you definitely have some questions, whereas, you know, if, if Austin Matthews had taken a slight step back this year, we'd probably just be like, ah, he'll be, he'll be fine come playoff time. With Muzzin, I think it's, you know, there's... There's there's some serious questions there, especially just given his importance to this to the Leafs. I think the eye test also shows that he's been my eye test, anyways. I don't want to talk about other people's eye tests, but um, definitely shows that he's been worse than last year, and, and just the expected goals as, as well. The numbers do show that as well. I, I do think that the save percentage probably makes it look even worse than what it is, but I I don't know. To me, just he doesn't look a hundred percent. Um, just it's it's a huge it's a huge gap between what he was last year just from the eye test and what he is this year. 
Yeah, and I think to your point in terms of the trade deadline, like I don't see too many high impactful defensemen that are going to get moved. Like maybe John Klingberg, though I don't love that fit. Um, but I, you know, would you give up a first for a t- a, like two playoff runs of Damon Severson? Maybe, but I don't know if he'll get moved. Other than that, like Colin Miller, Mark Pizik, Ilya Labushkin, Justin Braun, maybe someone like Scott Mayfield. You know, those aren't that's not first round pick caliber. That's that's kind of like a, you know. A second round pick at best, probably mid round picks for some of those guys. Um, I, I don't know if you're going to get a true answer on defense as a partner for Muzzin. Um, I do think most of the difference makers will be on forward. Um, so I still think forward for that reason is the priority. Uh, if the deadline was today, that might sound you know a little bit weird. I, I'm sure a lot of people disagree with me there, but uh, I just think that's you know unfortunately that's the market right now it doesn't look like there's this market's going to be full of you know all-star right shooting defensemen and and we saw that for years i know the leafs year after year could have used a right shooting defenseman at the deadline um you know these guys just don't get moved very often and and right now i just i don't see a ton of impactful guys the other thing i wanted to to make a, a point about justin hall is that we haven't really seen him in a top in a bottom pairing role i know you mentioned that earlier but you know, you see guys like Travis Dermott, who has put up excellent numbers on the third pairing in the past, but, you know, Dermott's never really stuck in the top four. I do wonder if, if maybe Justin Hall gets a pretty big boost um, for going kind of against weaker competition. Now, I don't know if he's as strong of a, you know, he's not really a great puck mover that can kind of uh, take advantage offensively, but, you know, he, if you're facing weaker competition, is a step slower. I do think you, you know, you typically have an edge if you're if you're facing like a fourth liner rather than the Ovechkins or, or the Crosbys. So I, I'm interested to see how he does in, in third pairing minutes. I'm not, you know, writing him off as some people are in terms of as an NHL player, but uh, I, I do think at some point that you're going to be looking at um, potentially adding a defenseman later on, but. Fortunately, the deadline's not until the 21st of March, so you do have some time to, you know, see what Lilligard can do there, see what Dustin Hall can do there potentially, and then see what Jake Muzzin is at this point. Because, you know, if Muzzin has, if, if Muzzin doesn't look any better, you might be even looking at someone like Jacob Chikrin uh, out of Arizona or the best defenseman you can get, even if it's a lefty, because you'll have some serious problems at that point. Yeah. I think that is a serious issue if Jake Muzzin is actually on the decline right now. Um, but I guess we'll have to wait and see with that one. I think he's... I'm not willing to... to like you said, like I'm not willing to, to say that you know it is age decline just yet. Um, I guess we'll have to wait and see with that one. But, um, you know, we are to a little fair, bit... Away- to be fair, like his worst stretch was probably at the very beginning of the season... I don't know if he's been himself as of late, but he's definitely been better than the very start of the season. So that makes me feel a little bit better about Muzzin. Definitely. But um, let's let's move on here. Do you have any early targets for uh, a potential forward? I do. Just off the top of my head, like, I love Thomas Hurdle. I think he's a star. Um, you know, he's someone, he's center, you can put him on the wing, he's a, He's a 6'2 player, very good in transition, has some power to his game. I think he's a legitimate high-end second-line center. I just think getting him and being able to go Matthews, Tavares, Hurdle down the middle, that's probably what I'd do. And you pair them with, you know, Marner, Nylander, and Kasha. I just, I'm in love with that. 
Um, I do think that you're probably looking at a first-round pick plus for Hurdle if he's even moved. Um, you know, it's probably a first, Hervin in, and, and probably a little bit more than that. So, you know, I, I do think that if you're going to go all in, you, you, you know, I'd rather kind of pay a little bit extra for someone of Hurdle's caliber rather than, uh, you know, what they did last year. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think he's good enough that I definitely make a call because I do think that guy's a star. He's playing with Barrett Bonov and, and Rudolf Balsers and, and San Jose, and he's still kind of driving that line. Um, he's someone who's you know a 65-70 point center and a good two-way player. Um, you could put him up on the wing if you wanted to and kind of have a power line. Um, but I, I, I think that guy's a, a very good hockey player. So I, I, I think he's number one on my list. It's just the price might be crazy. We'll see. Uh, I think it would be more than what Kevin Hayes went for a couple years ago, which I think was like a first in Brennan Lemieux. I don't think Forsberg will get moved, but I think he's, again, a player that's good enough to, to call about. Um, and, and other than that, I don't know if anyone sticks out. I know the Stars had Radulov and Pavelski, though I'm not sure if they're going to sell at this point. Um, I don't know if Vancouver's anyone else... back, so I don't know. Each day with Bruce Boudreaux, the, each of their targets go down the drain. Yeah, so there's been a lot of, I guess, those examples of... of, of Teams are just not sure about at this point. The other guy I'll mention that I think is very good, and you know he's a pending RFA, is is Jared McCann. I know they already got him. Uh, <laughs> it would be so fun if they got him again. Uh, I think he'd be great on the left side. He's got a good shot. You know, he'd be great on the left side. I think he's a good center. He'd be a great third line center to move Camp down one. Um, I would love to see that. He's currently their first line center with with Yanni Gordo. Um, those are the guys that, that really stick out to me. Um, you know, the Islanders, I don't really think have anyone that really stood out. Um, maybe a guy like Brendan Hagel on, on Chicago. Uh, that's another guy I, I think I've tweeted about before. I think he makes like one and a half million for the next, it's this season plus two more. You know, it reminds me of what the Tampa Bay Lightning did with, with their deadline acquisitions where, you know, they got Barkley Goudreau and, and Blake Coleman but they really prioritize guys with some term and, and guys that were underpaid. And, you know, I, I, would, I wouldn't mind that. I don't know if Chicago's eager to give them up, but if you gave them a first, maybe they do it. Um, so those are the kind of the guys I have in mind. Um, the last guy I'll mention is Tyler Toffoli, but he's, I know he's out right now. He's got, I think he's got a broken hand or a broken wrist. Um, he's got a couple years left. But the, if the Habs are going to have full rebuild and they're willing to take on salary, he'd be a, a fine player too. So those, that's my short list right now. But again, we don't know who's going to be out of it and who's going to be available quite yet. I, yeah, I think once the uh, standings kind of clear up there and you, you see who's going to be sellers, who's going to be buyers, it gets a lot easier. Um, mm-hmm. One player, though, he is on Arizona. You already mentioned my boy Ilya Labushkin. But I do have another boy on Arizona. I actually saw this on Twitter the other day. And it was such a... It was such a detailed trade, uh, but it was for a forward on Arizona. Is it for the thrill? It is for the thrill. No. Phil Kessel. So what I'll ask you, 50% retained, let's say. Richie goes the other way. Somehow uh, the, now, the, now you're the, good. Now I'm interested. The, the money somehow worked. I think it was like a fourth rounder, 50% or 60% retained, like something where, where the money worked out with Richie going the other way, plus like a third. Would you do that for Phil Kessel? 
and that's their I, that's their forward acquisition for the for the deadline. Let's say everyone else they didn't they didn't win the bidding war or, or they just weren't able to to do it. I just think it's such a poor fit. Like they don't need a right wing. They already have like they, they kind of already have they're they're already accounted for on really all four spots on the right side. Yeah, they're probably looking for someone with more of a two way game. It would be fun. Like they need a cup fun, winner. But... They need a cup winner with <laughs> some playoff that can play playoff hockey, and that's him. It wouldn't be my first choice, let's put it that <laughs> way. But it would be fun to see. There's no question about it. I mean, this is the management group that traded him away. It's still that same contract day. Eh? That's kind of nuts to think about. But uh, I guess he's already is on it? the payroll. Yeah, they're still the Leafs are still paying him like one point. Oh right, right, right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, what a guy. I, I like him. Yo. I like Johan Larson on that team as like a fourth line center, but they kind of already have David Kampf, so I don't know uh, what the fit would be. Um, that team's weird. Like I wouldn't mind going after Jacob Chikrin. Like I, I obviously every team should be interested in Jacob Chikrin. He's he's that kind of player. You know, four years left to four point six. I do think Arizona should be moving him because you know they're not going to take advantage of those years uh, where he's on like a, a very team friendly deal. But I'm guessing that cost more than two first-round picks. Like, I'd give up two first-round picks for him pretty quickly. Um, I think that's going to be, like, an absolute haul. So I think you at least call and, and see what the price is. But um, I have a feeling You'd have to move some be... money out, too. Um, so yeah. Probably like, you know, I don't know if it's, like, a Kerfoot or something. But I don't even know how much Arizona really values Kerfoot at this point. Well, he's a lefty, too, right, Chickering? So I think that's a deal you make if you think Muzzin is... is seen his better days but yeah. i don't think that's likely but we'll throw it in there but no i'm gonna say no to phil wow you know what 2013 kevin papetti would not be too happy with you <laughs> i don't know 2013 nick d'souza would definitely not be too happy with you like timo meyer would be so cool but it's an extra year and i don't think they could really afford him like he's a player you kind of move guys out to afford but he would cost a a, a fortune uh, I can't think on anyone on LA that I'd like. I now that I'm looking at the standings, Nashville's probably not moving Forsberg. They're nineteen ten and no. one. Um, maybe Dallas will move a Pavelski. Like I love Pavelski. He's older, but you know he's such a playoff type of scorer. I think that term gets overused, but Pavelski is one that I think is legitimately so good at tipping pucks or getting rebounds. Uh, just a gamer. I think Rajlov would be really cool to see on this team, though he does typically play the right side. Um, I don't see really any other like amazing options. I, I can't think of anyone on Jersey. Um, I'm looking at Detroit right now, who I think is probably going to fall off sooner or later. But I don't think the Leafs are going to be trading for Tyler Bertuzzi anytime soon. Or no, like, not when he can't go to Yeah, he can't even I, come in the country. Like I wouldn't mind Nemestikov as like a depth guy, but that's not really the type of player we're talking about here. Like we're no, talking about definitely not. I, ideally, more someone with some higher upside, but. Um, you know, maybe you go out and you get one of those defensemen we mentioned earlier. Uh, I still think this team will try to take a, a fairly big swing. Um, I just think, you know, they, priority A, B, and C right now is winning a playoff series, even if it costs a bit of the future. I do think they're going to try to, to bolster their lineup, um, especially the way Jack Campbell's playing, the way this team's playing. Um, that's my guess, but I, I guess that's a question for you. Like, what do you think the odds are that they move their first round pick? 85 to 90 i I don't i think they're gonna move that first round pick before they move 
you know, like a Topi Nima or a Nick Robertson or, or definitely a Rasmus Sandin. Like, I, I do think that if, if they're going to move a prospect, it's going to be a, like the, like a Nick Abrazisi type, like kind of in the, the that ranking, like around there. Like lower, yeah. like maybe like a Ronnie Hervinen or lower than that, I would say, on the prospect list. I think they would move that first round pick way before that. Yeah, I'll go, uh, I'll go like 65%. But that's a great transition, Nick, because I wanted to to do to quickly touch on the World Juniors here. So, what a what a great transition! I want to hear your medal predictions. So, gold, medal, gold, silver, and bronze. Um, and I also, I mean, we'll quickly touch on the prospects here. So, I know Topi Nimala, who was defenseman of the tournament last year, he'll be back on on Finland. Ronnie Hervinen was named the captain of Finland. He'll probably he'll put. I mean, he was on the top line last year, but. Without Anton Lundell, he'll play an even bigger role this year. Um, and, and then you look at Matthew Nyes, who I'm really excited to see, and I think he's going to be kind of the talk of, of Leafs Nation over the next couple of weeks. He'll yeah, be on he'll be on Team USA. So uh, your medal predictions here are they are they for the those are they for those prospects or are you, you going way off the board? Yeah, I'm definitely going to be a Leafs fan going into this uh, this World Juniors, but I think we all just love watching the World Juniors in general. But my medal count, I'm actually going to go off the board here. I obviously cheer for Canada every single year. I think they do have the strongest team, but uh, they broke my heart this, uh, you know, a week or two ago. So I'm going to go, I'm going to say they're not going to make the <laughs> the finals here. Okay. Um, so I'm going with a U.S. championship. Wow. I, I like their team. I like Nyes there. Um, obviously going to be watching for him. We'll talk about him in a second. I'm going to go off the board here. I'm going to go Sweden second. They don't have a Leaf, but they do have a ton of really good players. Like, I do like Alexander Holtz, obviously. They have Nye back there. And I'm going to go with Canada third because they did not take the difference maker of the gold medal difference maker, Ryan Teverberg. So <laughs> they uh, they just broke my heart. After watching maybe maybe three games of Ryan Teverberg this year, I don't think there's ever been a more hyped up, you know, prospect about to make the World Juniors. But I mean, if he made Team Canada, that would have been crazy. And he's been absolutely fantastic this year, um, in college. So just the fact that he got called to that that training camp and almost made the team, and he got high praise from the Canada coach. I think that in itself was just fantastic. So, you know, I, I obviously think Canada's going to win, but I I'm going to go off the board because they didn't take uh, they didn't take Teverberg. Yeah, I'm going. I'm gonna go Canada despite not Teverberg. <laughs> I'm sorry, Nick. Um, I just think you know, they didn't win. Maker. They didn't win last year, um, and I haven't looked at all the rosters. I will admit, but I have looked at Canada's, and you know, Shane Wright's a, a heck of a young talent. Um, Mason McTavish, number two center, like the one two uh, at center is, is very impressive. And then at left wing, Cole Perfetti and Kent Johnson. I've seen those guys play t- tons of times. They're both very skilled. Uh, they're, they're, they're worth the price of admission if, if you're going to the games. Those guys can pull off a highlight real move. Obviously, Owen Power um, or Connor Bedard. You know, Power went one, Bedard might go one. Those guys are, are very fun to watch as well. I just think they didn't win last year. It feels like. You know, can they really not win a goal two years in a row? Maybe. Um, I do think they're better than the States, although I love Matthew Beniers. I've always been a huge fan. He's just a Seattle cracking pick. 
Uh, he's a good two-way center. He was very good last year. Plays a mature game. He could definitely be playing in the NHL right now. Um, I love the Jake Sanderson and Hughes pairing. Uh, you know, Hughes is a lefty, but he plays the right side there. That's one of the best pairings I've seen in the World Juniors um, in quite some time. I know Byram Drysdale might have topped it last year, but it is close. And then Nice. Nice is going to be so fun to watch. I think people will be a little bit surprised with his skill. Like, he goes between defenders' legs quite often. Um, he's got a very good set of hands around the net. I'll probably be playing the net front on the power play. That's what he does at uh, University of Minnesota. He's got a good shot. Um, but I, I think the, the hands and the skill will really impress some people. But I think just Leafs fans saying a power forward will, will be kind of going nuts. Like, this guy gets on the forward checks. He's a physical specimen. Like, he's, he's a very physically mature player. Um, and he's in a juniors tournament, so I think he's going to win a lot of battles. He'll be a beast on the forward check, and when he gets the puck, you, you can see some highlight real material, like something that we'll be we'll be doing the gifts for. So, I'll, <laughs> I'll put I'll put USA third. I'll put Sweden second. You know, Sweden does look strong, about as strong as the states. I'd say they have a very good goaltender in, in Wallstadt. Just Sweden never seems to win gold, so I can't give them the gold. I'm gonna go Canada, Sweden, USA. Yeah, that's probably a more likely uh, thing, even without Teverberg. But, I mean, Matthew Nyes, I think he's just going to really, I agree. I do think that Topi Nemo is probably going to be the most, let's say, impactful out of the three Leafs that are going to be playing. I, think I love definitely... watching Nemo. Love oh, he's, he's, he's fantastic. He's just the perfect blend of offensive creativity, offensive aggressiveness, and the way that he jumps off his line. But... Just defensively, like how smart he is, he reminds me a lot of Rasmus Sandin in, in just the way that he is. He picks his battles very, very well. He has a very good gap. Uh, I do think he's a better skater than Sandin, especially a straight yeah. line skater. Um, and even just the way he he moves around the ice, like Nimala moves around just so brilliantly. So I'm, I think he's going to be the most impactful player. I think once again he's going to be one of the top defensemen at the whole tournament. But with Nyes, I think, I, I think a, a certain amount of Leafs fans watched Nima last last year and that was kind of his coming out party. I think this year is going to be Matthew Nyes. I, I do think that he's going to be fantastic. And like you said, like his hands, his skill, it kind of surprises you because you don't really expect a player that plays with that type of tenacity, with that type of size to just, you know, toe drag around a player or to, like you said, put it between the other defender's legs, like to be that nifty around there. Um, so... I think it's going to be Nyes' kind of, you know, big party with with people uh, watching him and, and Leafs Nation watching him. So, and then with Ronnie Hervin, and I, I think this year he was a little snake bitten to start the year in Liga. Um, he started to put up some points. Now, he's just a hardworking player. I think last year he was, he was kind of, you know, a little bit in the, you know, he wasn't really in the spotlight because of how much Nimla was taking over, but. Uh, I do hope he has a really good tournament, just a really good net front guy, despite not being very tall or, or very big. He really fights to get open, uh, and he, he's a really good in, in battles. So I hope he has a good tournament this one, because I'll be cheering him on. So, you know, we'll we'll see how many Finland games I watch. I think it'll probably be all of them. Uh, we're becoming oh, yeah. quite the quite the Finnish fans here. <laughs> yeah, I think Nimala, like you said, he does remind me of Sandin a bit. I mean, he's a better skater than Sandin, but... He just picks his, you know, he pinches at, at like, he, he's just a smart player who pinches at the right time. Right. Steps up at the right time. I think he's a better neutral zone defender than Sandine. 
you know, at, at the time of the draft, you know, John Lilly, who was with the Leafs at the time, said, you know, best defensive instincts in the draft or, or one of the best defensive instincts in the draft. And I had him as more of a defensive defenseman, and I like Nimala. And, you know, his offensive game is, is kind of surprised me, um, you know, to the, you know, I, I think as much as you like a player, when they win defensemen at the tournament, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it, it is a bit of a surprise as, as a guy that was taken in the third round, even if he should have gone a bit earlier. Um, in a tournament with guys like Bowen Byram or, or Jamie Drysdale, that is a bit of a surprise. But he's just a well-rounded player. He has a little bit on the smaller end, so I do think his, you know, you'll you'll want to see his offensive game um, continue to grow and and you know pick up where he's left off in Liga this year. So I'm I'm I love watching Nimala. I'm very excited to see him. I think with Hervin in, I'm excited to see what he can do to really drive his own line. I think last year, for the most part, he played with Lundell and. You know, right. it was probably Lundell driving the line, given that Lundell's was kind of, he's always been a mature player, Lundell, and he's already in the NHL now. Um, so to see him in, in more of a, you know, a play driving role, I'm, I'm interested to see, um, you know, even if he has less points than last year, if he's the one kind of driving the bus, you know, that would be some, some solid growth. Um, and then Nyes, like if Nyes plays the Matthew Beniers, look out, because if you play with someone with that transition talent, um, he has a chance to use the shot and, and get to the net and, and get some garbage goals. And I, I, I think Nice could, could have a huge tournament. So yeah, I, we're definitely excited. I want to close off on a, on a Rodion Amira story from today. Cause he was actually back in the lineup for the first time and what's felt like for ages. Yeah, I'm ready for it. So if you're not watching KHL hockey, you got to start and, you don't have to watch it for the hockey, but you got to watch it for the music. So they were playing, <laughs> they were playing um, the Kunlun Red Star team, I believe they're called. I think it's the only team based in China. I'm not sure if they're still playing in China with the pandemic or if it's they're actually based in Russia. I believe it's China at least. But just the songs, like there's so many covers of um, of just like well known songs here. Um, but there is like a there's a Britney Spears song, "Hit Me Baby One More Time," and it was like a death metal cover of it. And oh. I was like, I got to watch more of these games. Like if you're <laughs> playing or not, because some of the song selections you get are, are fantastic. So that's my I pitch have... to watch KHL hockey is, is the Britney Spears covers. Wow. I haven't watched KHL hockey since probably the uh, Miko Letnin days. <laughs> so at that time I did not hear any death metal there, but I might have to come back, especially if Amirov's playing now, like, that's the thing with the KHL. It's just so it's so frustrating. Like sometimes you see Amirov, or, or I know Evchinikov uh, is a player I really like watching, and you see it and you say, "Okay, I'm gonna tune in." And they play like four minutes. Like even that's sometimes they don't even play. So I, I kind of gave up on the KHL watching the prospects unless I know they're gonna play for sure. So, um, but yeah, that's that's my problem with the KHL. But the music might bring me back into it. <laughs> Well, Amirov played about, I think it was like 12, 13 minutes today. I think a couple of players on his team either had, I don't know if it was injuries or COVID or what, um, but he got a chance to play. And he looks like, like he does not look out of place. He's a great skater. I think he's going to be a pretty good two-way player just because of the skating. Uh, good transition player. He had a good first period. Um, I watched the first 40 minutes. And in the first period, he had a one-timer, which you don't see often from him. Um, he had a a wraparound chance, and then he had a good chance in the slot that got blocked by the defenseman. But generating a, a, quite a bit of offense, not playing on special teams, but uh, it was a weaker KHL team he was up against. 
Um, but definitely looks like someone who should be playing more. I don't really know why he's not playing more in the K. I mean, that's kind of the KHL for you with, with younger players. Mm-hmm. We, we kind of saw it with Pod Colson, the Vancouver prospect, last uh, the last few years. So, you know, I wouldn't get down on Amirov. I think, you know, he, I think he's an October birthday. If he was a few, I think he's a few months older than Hervinen, who's going to be in the World Juniors. I'm sure he'd be a top player in the World Juniors if he was, you know, if he was young enough to go, if he was three months younger. Um, he'll be a good player. He'll be a, I think he's going to have a long NHL career. Um, I think, you know, with someone like Timothy Lilligren, he's just going to be, you know, the patience will pay off. I don't know if he'll be like a superstar or anything. Uh, I wouldn't probably bet on him being a first line player, but you know, I think he's going to be a good middle six forward in the, in the Kapanen or Kasha mold. And, and there's definitely upside for more because we've seen what he can do against top competition, but you know, that's my pitch for KHL hockey. It's not Rodeo on Amirov. It's the pop goes punk kind of music that you get uh, between whistles. <laughs> it's funny because um, I saw a tweet the other day uh, from Kyle Cushman of Leafs Nation. Good follow. And I'm going to read it out, actually. So it's, it says, it'll never happen, but I would love to see a Leafs that the Leafs make a section behind one of the nets, a supporter section. So scarves, chants, everything. I thought that was so cool, and it just made me think of that tweet when you were talking about the KHL and just European hockey in general. So if, if I mean, you've been to a Toronto FC game, right? I haven't. You have not? I have not. Oh my god, we we need to get you to a Toronto FC game at <laughs> least. But, so, have you been to any soccer games before? Uh, I don't think so. I don't... Oh, I've been to your soccer game. That was probably my last soccer game. Was, we, was we, we, we did not have... We did not have a supporter section. Definitely no scarves at that game. <laughs> I, I should have brought a scarf, but... You should have brought one. Um, well, anyways, the supporter sections are amazing. Like, I think it would be... I think that would be awesome if you could bring, like, just one section where you're allowed flags, you're allowed scarves. They have chants there. I think it would work out in, in North America. Uh, it happens at Toronto FC games, so we definitely need to get you there. You know, at least so you can experience that before it comes to the NHL, hopefully one day. I hope so. I hope we just get fans in general back. Like, I mean, yeah, that might be a good start. Yeah, let's hope that uh, let's hope that the World Juniors can can run successfully, and we get you know the cases come down, and we get back to NHL hockey. So, th- thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see everybody soon.